Hello, welcome back to the Edge of the Box podcast, a podcast by whoscored.com. It's a jubilant morning today as England have progressed to the last 16 of the World Cup, finishing top of their group. And I'm, as ever, joined by Ben from Who Scored, and we've got Julian Laurens with us again, which is always a treat. Julian is the neutral on this show today. I've got a quote here from Gareth Southgate. He said, I heard Julian Laurens in the Who Scored Edge of the Box podcast before the game against Wales. I'd just like to dedicate that second half performance to him. And I would love it if we got France in the knockouts and knocked them out. What do you make Thank of those you. comments? Thank you, Gareth, uh, or the English Sylvain Ripoll, as, well as I call him. Uh, what happened in the first half? Quiet. Quiet, I would well, say. Thank you, Gareth. Thank you. Um, I thought second half was good. I love Marcus Rashford in that kind of form. I think it's, it's amazing, really, to see from where he was when he had really this, the struggles recently and then when he's now where he's now and the way he plays and the confidence that he has and that second goal, I mean, the free kick is great, but you can try it maybe another, I don't know, 20 times and not score the same one. However, the second goal I thought was brilliant, the run and then what he does with the ball is fantastic. So I'm good. If I just wish England played like in the second half the whole game or most, most than just 45 minutes, that's all. And that's, that's the issue I have. I can't wait for them to play against Senegal because I think Senegal will bring a bit of a challenge physically, especially. And then if the quarterfinals is, if there is a France-England quarterfinal, then then it's going to be epic. Yeah, I mean, if there is an England-France quarterfinal, I'll send you the shirt over to Qatar because I, I will not <laughs> want it if, if England are playing France in the, in the quarterfinals. Ben, it's almost like when England score, a bit like the Iran game, as soon as they score... They suddenly become free flowing, and the shackles come off, and they play. They play with that freedom. Do you think that's a coincidence? No, not coincidence. I mean, you struggle to break a team down. You start to get a bit more compact, a bit more edgy. You don't want to open up too much. The risk of being caught on the counter attack. I mean, that Rashford free kick, as good as it was, Danny Ward probably should have done better for it. He took that extra step to that his well. right. Bit low um, as well. He went for it like he was down yeah, there. Really it was there. Yeah, it was not not good goalkeeping, but still great hit by Rashford. And as soon as you know that goal happens, Wales had to kind of come out a bit more, and then England could just pick them off. It was similar to Iran in that you'd think that Iran would sit deep, make it very difficult for for England to break down, use the intensity and the heat to their advantage. But as soon as they got that first goal, it sort of forces Iran out a bit more. Um, and the same happened for Wales. So not surprised that. You know, you get the first goal, everything opens up a bit more and it happened again against Wales. Yeah, Wales completely folded. And whilst we're with you, Ben, you've got the top 10 performers from England in the group stage so far. Just before you read that out, who would you predict would be top of that, Julian? I'm going to, I'm going to have a guess as well. So England's top performer so far in the group stage, judging by who scored rankings, who would you think that would be? I would go for... Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, I'm going to have a think as well. Yeah, so I sus- I suspect. I mean, I don't know if defenders can 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 score enough uh, compared to, for example, Marcus Rashford, who because of the goal that he scored, he scored three already. But I think Harry Maguire must be quite higher up, uh, and, and credit to him. I think Rashford would be quite higher up. Uh, I think even Kane with three assists uh, in those two games. It's just why is. What is messing up with my mind is that US again because I can't I can't picture anyone who would have had a good ratings by who scored for that game because England was so disappointing. So yeah, so I would say Maguire and Rashford in the top five maybe is my best guess. Yeah, I'm going to throw a wild name and I'm going to throw Luke Shaw. 
into the mix. He, play, he played every game. I think he got one or one or two assists across the three games. Oh, yeah, but I, I'd probably I'd probably go Harry Maguire top as well, to be honest. But I've no idea how the who scored ratings work myself. So Ben, do the big reveal for us. Go go from ten to one. Okay, so at ten is John Stones. That's Kieran Trippier, Declan Rice, Raheem Sterling. Six is Luke Shaw. So just miss out on the top five. Yeah. Two, Harry great, Kane. Great shot, great shot, Daniel. Great shot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, number four is Harry Maguire. Number three, Jude Bellingham. Second is Rashford, and top is Saka, which I find quite interesting. Uh, yeah. After they both missed the penalty a year of twenty twenty, could have affected them mentally, but they've both been excellent for England in the group stages. So. Credit to them. Oh, come on, who scored? Oh, Saka scored two in the first game. <laughs> it was pretty quiet in the second game, then didn't play the third game. So I, would have <laughs> I would have never have guessed that Saka, Saka would have been top, top of that list. And then my shout of Luke Shaw, who played every game, looked stupid. But I'd have, I would have never said Saka. <laughs> Julian, what, what do you think of that? Yeah, I mean, unlike you, uh, my pick are quite higher up in that list, so I'm very happy. I think who scored is the best organisation in the world right now in terms of football. So, yeah, I'm very happy. I think who scored a bit like FIFA, completely corrupt. <laughs> uh, how, how are they coming up with, with, with those rankings? Absolutely, absolutely incredible. But Saka he had a great first game, can't, can't deny that. And he'll, he'll be back in the team, I would have thought, for, for the knockouts against Senegal. But that's the difficulty now, Julian. England have made a few changes on um, last night. And now they're going to Sunday's game against Senegal. And there's people pushing to start. Even I go as far as to say, mm. probably, probably Jordan Henderson. I think he added a lot to England's midfield last night. Added added a bit of composure and a bit of nous in there. So Rashford's obviously scored two. So someone's going to have to come out for him. I would have thought. What what kind of makeup do you see, especially in that England front three, front four? You could you could, you could look the lineup against um, against Wales in two two different ways. Of course, the first one is just you rotate and you rest your your starters which is often what happened in a, in a third group game in, in a World Cup or in a Euros, which means that usually your starters then come back for the, for the last 16. So you could see that way, or you could see that Sadgate was not too happy with some of the players, that he wanted to give others an opportunity to show what they can do and, and just challenge for the, for the position, really. So I'm not re I think maybe it might be in between. So for example, you can think that, yes, yeah, Sterling and Saka were rested for this game, but you could also see uh, from a Sterling point of view that the U his USA performance was so bad that this was a chance for Rashford, let's say, or for one of the two to step up and, and for Saka to think, okay, if one of them to do well now is going to come in for, for Raheem in the next game. So I would say that Saka is going to come back on that right-hand side and then that he would play Rashford on the left with Kane in the middle. So that Sterling would lose his place in the starting eleven, really, that he had in the first two games. People will probably say, Julian, that Foden should come in for Mount. But that doesn't feel very Gareth Southgate for me. He's, he's mentioned already Foden yeah. doesn't play in the middle for, for his team. So Foden, who, who scored last night as well, he'll probably be missing out as well in the knockouts. Yeah, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big lobbyist for Foden to start in that position. I like Foden wide. It's not a problem. I think he's... Is so good that he could play anywhere, but I think he would far more impact anything more centrally. The thing is, Mount is Gareth Southgate's son, or like hidden son, if you want, or son that you know. The and then and then I can understand why he likes him so much because one is completely unselfish, maybe more than Foden, and two the work rate and especially when you lose the ball to come back defensively, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Is, is higher than, than, than Foden. So I can see what, what Southgate thinks that Mount makes a lot of sense. Right now it's a World Cup. I just, I just think that England would be much better with a Foden, or not much better, but would be better for me with Foden as a, as a central 
10 if you want, let's put it that way, than, than Mount. But I like Mason Mount a lot. I think there's a lot of things that he yeah. does really well. And for the balance of your team, it might be better than Foden. But just personally, with, with this England team, I would rather see Saka, Kane, Rashford and Foden than having Mount in there. Yeah, I mean, international football obviously is, is very different to club football as well. And Julian mentions how hard Mount works there, Ben. But you have to work hard to be in Man City's team going both ways. You know, Foden can work hard as well. And he's he's got that thing that I think all Man City players have. It's good at getting on the end of, of crosses. You know, that goal last night, that's a, that's a Man City goal, the ball, ball across the goal and getting on the end of it. The Manchester City forward players are all very good at that. And Foden's part of that. You kind of think now he's scored. It is going to be difficult for Southgate to leave him out. Yeah, it's uh, Foden and obviously Rashford as well. Um, he, Sterling is obviously has been Southgate's go-to international tournaments before. He did really well at the Euros. He did one against Iran, less so against USA. Um, and Southgate does have Southgate does have a decision to make on whether he goes back to Sterling, but then you overlook Rashford. It's impossible to do at the moment. You can't overlook Saka on the right. And it's an issue now of whether he does follow the same patterns as the Euros, goes for a three-man defence, or sticks with that 4-2-3-1 four, four, three, or 4-3-3. Um, I mean, Bellingham played the number 10 role last night behind Kane. So there's another argument to be made. Maybe it should be Rice and Henderson at the base, with Bellingham pushed further forward. He linked up really well with uh, Rashford and Foden last night. It's, uh, I mean, it, it's good for Southgate. He's got players that are in good form. So... His usual starters, they weren't performing. He can call on those in reserve to come into the side to alleviate the pressure on those that are starting and underwhelming. But again, uh, I maybe I, at first it thought at first I thought Southgate was wrong in saying that Foden can't play through the middle. But he's such a good player. He's you know quality in that role. He's played through the middle before. But then you have Bellingham who could play in that role as well and whether it's Bellingham or Mount or Foden, you have three quality options there. Um, it's an issue for Southgate. I can't I can't make a decision on that one. <laughs> it's a, it's a not a very nice problem to have, Julian. This is what makes me yeah. think England have got a really good chance, just because I don't think... If, if any other country had the front options that England have, you'd be sat there thinking, they're, they're, they've got a really good chance of winning the World Cup, but I'd make them the favourites. I do feel like England's forward options across, across the front three. They're superior to any other nation. Am I, am I wrong in saying that? You're pushing it a little bit, maybe that they're better than, but because I think Brazil have an incredible front eight, even that I think, you know, if you look at France, we're just with Kylian and Dembele, I mean, I know Giroud, you can argue maybe it's certainly not at the level of, of Kane right now at 36 years old, but but I think there, there would be others. But no, I, I agree with you. I think the depth is incredible. I think there's so much talent in that team. This is my issue, like we were saying the other day about Southgate, not. I just don't feel he uses all that talent enough and, and mm. well enough, but you still had the final and semi-final in the last big tournament. So he's it, done really well, but, but I still think he could be even better and he should be even better. And I think England can win this World Cup without a doubt, but he needs to find the right formula. And right now, he's still, he's still looking. I don't think it's, it's ever a problem to have that much talent. It, it cannot be. I just think that really good managers use all that talent to make the best team possible, whether they change and tweaks and everything. And then managers who maybe are not as strong as others. And I'm not saying Saudi is not up there with, with others in this tournament. It's just like some managers sees abundance of talent as a very good asset. Others think like, oh, 
Why is my stronger starting 11? What am I going to do? Can I drop him? Can I pick him? Can I do this? Can I do that? And if I look at Chichi, for example, who I think is probably the, the best of all the head coaches in this tournament, I think he knows exactly. He's got a plan. He's got a front four or a front three, whatever they, whatever where they play. And he knows, and then he knows exactly who's going to come in, where, how, what, what profile we suit, what kind of opposition they're playing, all of that. And I'm just not sure. I don't think Southgate is right up there. But yeah, I agree with you. T talent wise, in terms of that squad, they've got enough. Even so, the other day, I had an argument, not an argument, but my friends, or our friend Sam Wallace, who works for the Telegraph, we were having a discussion about where does this squad rank amongst England squads at World Cup? And for me, it's super high. For me, it's really, really high. I think 86 was probably a bit better, maybe even 90, but I think this is right up there in what England has had as a World, as a World Cup squad. He was arguing that maybe in the 2000s, the Lampard, Gerard generation and Rio's was a better squad than this one. I'm really not sure. Really, I know Maguire has limits and so has Stones, but I think everywhere this squad is proper loaded. So for me, if there's not England in the semi-final, for example, it's a, it's a big disappointment. It's a big failure. I think I agree with you. I think in my time of, of following football, so I think my first tournament was USA 94, which England didn't qualify for. I think I think this is the best all-round squad that England have had. I get I get what Sam's saying about about the 2002, 2006. 2006 was a, was a strong squad in England. It was yeah. underperformed, got knocked out on penalties. It was a strong first eleven though, rather than a rather than a strong squad. I think they had a f strong first eleven, and then a few players to come in. The players that England can can call upon on a the bench, they've they've always got I three agree. genuine top class players to bring on in the in the front positions. By the, by the whatever makeup Southgate has, as long as there's no injuries, there's at least three top players to call upon in in the front three. And I think the balance of the squad as well. I, I think it's as, I think it's the strongest squad in in the tournament across everyone. I think I think you say about Maguire. I think every team has weaknesses. I don't look at any any nation and think oh they've got a really really strong defence personnel wise. So I don't think England's defence necessarily is is a problem. Twenty players have now played for England. I think now Ben, give me the bottom the bottom five performers according to the Who Scored algorithm. Uh, it's quite a um, I mean sub appearance pack this, so it's a bit harsh on the bottom five in that it is Trent Alexander Arnold, Eric Dyer, Calvin Phillips, Callum Wilson, John Pickford. In the bottom ten though, the one that stands out the most for me is Mason Mount. So again, you go back to. Uh, Julian's point about whether to drop him or not. I mean, Southgate's son, etc. It's a case of who comes in that number 10 role. Do you stick with Mount? Do you stick with the high-pressure player who will disrupt defences and help create chances on third? Or do you go a bit more expansive and bring in Bellingham or Foden? You could also just play 4-3-3, couldn't they? And have Henderson and, and Henderson and Bellingham either side of Declan Rice as well. So, you know, the system options as well. We'll see three at the back. Well, I hope we see three at the back at some point because I think that means that England have progressed to the latter stages of the tournament if we, if we see three at, three at the back. Because Kyle Walker obviously got some minutes last night as well, which I think was important because I think if England do get to the knockouts and play a big nation, I think Kyle Walker is very, very important, especially if they were to come up against France and Bappe players down his side, a back three. I think Walker would be really important in trying to shackle him. Julian, where, where do you think England's big weakness is? If you had to pick out one one place of weakness for England, where would it be? Um, so, I th in terms of personal, yeah, we can go on Stones and Maguire, and I don't think they're the strongest pair, you know, defensively. The only thing I would say maybe is that I think Senegal would offer a test and I think a challenge a bit. England, I said last night on ESPN that 
because I've got some of my boys playing for Senegal, I had to say that Senegal would win on penalties. Otherwise, they'd be on the phone saying like, why are you not backing us up? So but I still think England are too strong for Senegal right now. But, but the only thing is then when, if you face France in the, sem, in, the, in the quarters, then whoever you can have in the semis, which is going to be another of the big boys, etc., is the lack of testing so far. I don't think this England defence especially, I don't think Pickford, for example, has been tested. I don't think the fullbacks have been really put under pressure, maybe a little bit by the USA. And they were under pressure and maybe that's a bit worrying. I just think that you would want to arrive in the big games having been a bit tested, having been a bit under pressure, having been able to manage it, or not so much, it depends, and, and have, having that kind of experience already in this tournament. I just feel that defensively, it's been a bit easy so far for England. They considered against Iran, goals that didn't mean anything and didn't count almost. And nothing against Wales because Wales is so bad. And then the USA was a boring nil-nil draw where, yeah, Pulisic hit the crossbar. There's that big chance for McKinney, but, but still, it was, not, it was not a proper test. And maybe when you get to the later stages, you, you would want to have been tested a bit, a bit more and have been on the back foot and have been and see how you reacted. And, and maybe they won't have that. But I just don't see many weaknesses in here, I have to be honest. Let's just talk about Senegal then. Let's look at that last 16 game. Julian, who are your friends in the Senegal camp and, and who are the danger men? Uh, my boy is Edouard Mendy, of course. Uh, and I was so happy for him because he made, obviously, that, that mistake against the Dutch in the first game that cost, that cost Senegal a point because I think we were heading towards a draw in that game and he was very down and very disappointed. And I said, listen, you, you, will, have, you will have chances to make up for it. This is, this is what happens in big tournaments. And I'm so glad they, they qualified to start with quickly, 20 years after the uh, 2002 World Cup, of course, the the last time and the first time at the time that they reached the knockout stages in a competition where Papa Bouba Diop, of course, scored the winning goal against France in the opening game, France being the, the world champions at the time. And the tribute, I think, 20 years on that the players last night gave to Papa Bouba Diop and his family, obviously, you know, after, after, after he passed away, was very emotional. I think that that win against Ecuador, where a lot of people didn't think they could do, um, I think showed, showed their character, showed their talent in a way, because I thought they played, I thought they bossed that game. And maybe you can say that Ecuador didn't really know what to do because the draw was enough for them. And it looked like from, from the stand, from being at the game, it looked like they, they were a bit lost on what to do. And, and I think they let themselves down massively because they're better than what they showed against Senegal. But Senegal also deserves a lot of credit for the way they started that game. They could have been 2 up after 10 minutes. They've got threat. Ismail Assar, of course, is, is the big one for England to keep an eye on because it's still a bit unpredictable in terms of he doesn't have that consistency to be always good through a game, but he's got so much talent and so much space that he can take you on. And if once he goes past you, then anything can happen. I love the young Iliman Ndiaye on the right-hand side, the Sheffield United winger, because the story is incredible. Three years ago, he had no club. He was playing Sunday League football. And now he's going to face England in the World Cup last 16. It's an incredible fairy tale story. And then they're going to be strong. They're going to be super physical. They're going to be strong. They just, they just are so united and play with so cohesion and togetherness that it's going to, you know, it's going to be hard for England to face them. The big thing, of course, is the Ganagay suspension because Ganagay is such an important player for them on the pitch, but also the leadership and everything. And I think Senegal, unfortunately, without him, is a much weaker side, of course, than with him. Yeah, they've got a big miss up top as, as well, Ben. Obviously, Sadio Mane not, not being there is he, huge. He's their talisman. He's, he's their leader. He's, he's someone the country turns to and looks to for, for more than football reasons as, as well, actually. Him not being there, they've, they've actually done well 
to qualify and get to the last 16, haven't they? I mean, that absence of Mane could have had a real uh, mental impact on them. I mean, especially after they lost in the Netherlands, you think, well, we're without our talisman. We, you know, conceded late on twice against the Netherlands. Uh, it could all go downhill from here, but they recovered extremely well to get that win against Qatar and then get that win against Ecuador to book their place in the last 16. So credit where credit's due. Um, they've come out of the, they come out the other side a lot stronger and that's going to, you know, add to the threat of Senegal against England on Sunday. Because yeah, Ecuador were going well, Julian. They were going well, going well in that tournament to, to, to come through and, and beat them in a, in a tough game. I think they deserve immense credit for that. I think that result is probably getting over, overlooked a little bit in the, in the midst of all the games in the World Cup and the, and the football that we have wall to wall. I think that's probably one of the results of the tournament, actually, so far. Yeah, and again, I think because they had to win to qualify and, and Ecuador could be happy with the draw and qualify with the draw... Um, I think they deserve a lot of credit, really, and especially when Ecuador scored and came back to 1-1. I think a lot of us in the stadium thought, OK, this is it now. They're going to just close the shop and see that one through. And for Senegal to, to still go after that, to score that goal with Koulibaly as well. And again, we go back to, you know, to what this means to Senegal, to their people, to, to, to this group of players, to Al Sisse, who obviously was there 20 years ago with Papa Bubba Diop, all of that, I think the emotion was huge. But to show that kind of character, the disappointment you see on their faces when, when Caicedo scored, but then to pick themselves up, to go and score the winner, to win that game, like what, two minutes later or something, was just incredible, really. And I think that's going to give them a big boost. Again, if you do, you know, if you do the, 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 each team, England and Senegal, on paper, there's, there's not really a match. But the belief they have now... The, the fact that I think the Sadio Mane injury kind of sort of gathered them together even more. This is a team with a huge team spirit, really. And, and they really believe they can go even further than England. They can beat England and go further out. It's, it would be a huge upset if they beat England and they're massively underdogs. But again, it's the World Cup and, you know, anything is always possible. Yeah, we've seen we've seen freak results before in the World Cup. That's absolutely mm. for sure. Not that this, I don't even think this would be a freak result, but it, it would certainly be an upset if Senegal were to beat England. How many Senegal players make the who score combined eleven? Ben, uh, just the three uh, in goals: Pickford, uh, Sabali's at right back, Harry Maguire is partnered by Koulibaly at centre back, and Shaw rounds off the defence. Midfield is Saka, Bellingham, Rice, and Rashford, who edges that left wing spot ahead of uh, Saar. Then up front is Kane and Dia. Yeah, yeah, I, th- I thought Sabali has done really well, especially last night against Ecuador. I thought he was amazing, really outstanding. I mean, Koulibaly, um, no problem there. I would have picked, of course, Edouard Mendy, the best goalkeeper in the world in goal. Uh, You're friends with a lot of goalkeepers. You seem to be friends with got goal, more goalkeepers than, any, than anyone else. Yeah, yeah, yeah non-goalkeeper in the goalkeeper union. Yeah, you know, yeah, all, all, the score, all the goals I've scored through my career, you know, against goalkeepers, I, I don't know, maybe I've got soft spots for them. Um, and then for the rest, I think Ismail Assam maybe a little bit unlucky to not make the team, but then Rashford and Saka have been so good as we've been, as we've been saying. But yeah, he's a, he's a really good one because I think there's talent there. I think there really is. He missed a big chance at nil-nil against Ecuador where... I think he rushes it a little bit. It's a, it's a good ball by Sabali, by the way. Threw in the box. And then, I, I don't know, I expected him to at least hit, hit the target. But I think there's a, play, there's a player there. Um, 
but yeah, no, I, th- I agree with Ben. I, you know, it's, this is a good team. Yeah, let's have, a, let's have a quick look at Group F then. We don't want to spend too long on this because it goes out of date very fast by the nature of the amount of games there are in the World Cup. But Croatia, Julian, how far can they go? Obviously, they got to the final last time, knocked England out along the way in the semis. They don't feel quite as strong to me as they have done in, in previous tournaments. How far do you think Croatia can go? Yeah, no, I agree. I think it does feel like a bit the end of the cycle. There's different players, for example, who were not really either there four years ago or, or heavily involved, you know, like Livaka, for example, like uh, Jovanovic and stuff like that. But, but there's still talent because if Modric has one amazing game, then they will knock you out. And same with, you know, Brozovic and, and Kovacic, for example, that midfield three on their day can mm-hmm. take on anybody and boss that game and just, and just set the pace of the game and, and really cause you problems. Um, it's offensively, I'm not sure about Kramaric, we say Livak has scored two goals. I'm not really convinced how much Perisic right now at 34 can still impact on games. I mean, I mean later on in the competition against against better team and and you know bigger countries. But but it was a threat. I, I was just very disappointed by them against Morocco. I, it was a very slow start against Canada, and then overall they had they could have easily won that game seven two or seven three. But still, they considered chances. They were not really efficient with all the chances that they created against Canada. And Borjan had a, had a really good game in goal. So, so I think there's still there's still a big question marks for them for, for me over Croatia. Yeah, Morocco as well. Ben Ziyech didn't play in Afcon. Not really been used much this season at all at, at Chelsea. I barely remember him featuring actually. But he's the third best rated player for Morocco so far, and you know they were a joy to watch in, in that Belgium game. And they've maybe got a chance of going quite far. Yes, uh, you look at the, sort of the African nations, Senegal will be confident going far. Morocco, after that nil draw with Croatia, probably felt they had the wind in their sails to get a better of a Belgian side that weren't very good against Canada. And Ziyech coming back in has really propelled them back up to a level that they failed to reach at AFCON. I mean, they had one of the strongest squads still at AFCON, but, you know, they were knocked out at the last 16, I believe. Um, so Ziyech coming back in is a huge boost for them. Uh, and there's Plenty of talent across that pitch. Hakimi is, you know, one of the best fullbacks in the world. Saiz is a solid centre back. Bufal can take on any player on his yeah, day. Bufal was good the other day. Very good. Mm-hmm. I mean, they've got Canada coming up, so you'd fancy their chance of get making the uh, last sixteen at least. It's just if they can better Senegal's feet of going, being the African nation that goes the furthest this uh, this month. Yeah, and let's have, let's have a quick word on on Belgium, Julian. What's the, what's the vibe? On Belgium, down there, down there, well, over there, in, in, in Qatar. I saw some rumours like last night of fighting in the camp as yeah, well. Yeah, I don't yeah. know how true, how true that is, but all is not well with Belgium. No, it's an absolute mess. I mean, fighting, I was told there was no actual fighting like between players and you know, punches Verbals. and etc. After that game, but they, yeah, they, they, they're just not happy with each other. I mean, we've known for a while, for example, that some of the players just don't talk to each other, don't just don't get on. I think... It's reached a limit. It's reached a point now where where just things in in that dressing room are just not just not happening. And you know, we I think we've said last time I was on the show something that Deschamps said the other day that team spirit d- doesn't make you win games at the World Cup, but it can make you lose some if if your team spirit is not there. And for me, this sums it up so perfectly for Belgium because the team spirit is not there. They, so so far, certainly they haven't played for each other. They haven't they haven't fought for each other. There's just not that unity in it. I think there's a lot of players who think some players should not be playing, should not even be in that squad. 
we saw what De Bruyne and, and Hazard said, for example, about the defenders, that they were, they were old and slow. Then we saw what Vertonghen responded after the Morocco game, saying, well, we didn't create anything going forward. Literally, we create nothing. And maybe it's because our forwards are also slow and old. So just imagine, like, publicly, privately, they're just going at each other. And they still can qualify. If they beat Croatia, they go through. But right now, you struggle to see how that's possible because that's a dressing room that is... That is broken, really broken, and they can fix it. They had a big meeting on on Monday, uh, where they they you know the usual like yeah we told each other the truth and well we had to be said and some players were not happy but you know truth had to be told and heard. Okay, that's good, but I'm not sure that's that's just the the answer here. I think that the problems go beyond just having a meeting together. It feels like they're kind of all coming towards the end of the cycle. A lot of players, I think you might see a few Belgian players retire from international football mm. after this tournament. You're probably going to see a manager go as well. Ben, has this almost been a wasted generation for, for, for Belgium? They, I remember they came, they came third in the World Cup, didn't they, in, in, 20, in 2018. I remember seeing scenes of jubilation and celebration on the, on the streets of, of Belgium. And I thought that even then, well, they've probably underachieved a little bit there with the, with the players they've got available and they probably progressively got got worse since then, then Belgium. Well, they did get to the, get to the semi, get semis of the Euros. Quarters, no, they lost to um, Wales. You know that incredible game? No, the, the last Euros, didn't they get to, didn't get, they get oh, to no, the semis? Oh no, quarterfinals to Italy, they lost. They lost. So they lost to Italy, so they lost to, you know, to the team that went on and won it. So they're perhaps a little bit unlucky in that tournament, but you do kind of get the sense that they could have done a bit more because some of the players they had at their disposal a few years ago when everyone was at their peak, they had, they had a frightening team. Maybe a, a bit like England now, arguably. Without doubt. Um, you look at the talent in that team, there's, you know, Hazard hasn't played much for Real Madrid, but still a world-class player. De Bruyne, he can create chance out of nothing. I think they've really missed Lukaku uh, in Qatar. Um, he's a much better option than Batshuayi in attack. And the link-up between him and De Bruyne will be really important against Croatia. But it is a, a missed opportunity for this generation to have not won any silverware. Um, I believe that comes back down to the manager. I don't think Martinez is good enough for Belgium. Um, I think he has that luxury of having so many world-class players that he can then kind of, he, he's found a way to crowbar them in. But I also don't think he is of the tier of manager they needed to make the most of this generation. Um, and as you say, a lot of them are coming to the end of this cycle. Uh, the Tongan is 35, out of railed is the wrong side of 30, De Bruyne the wrong side of 30. Um, so it's definitely a missed opportunity. Um, you'd sort of say it's similar to England between 1996 and 2006 in that they had these huge, really, really talented squad, but didn't win anything. So it's a huge shame for Belgium to have not won anything on the international stage with the players at their disposal. But it's just one of those things that happens. It's international football. It's ruthless if you're, you can get as far as you want in knockout football. But at the end of the day, you don't win it, then... That's just what happens. He's almost missed an opportunity this time around, Martinez, Julian, a, a little bit in that, you know, he, he's picking those established players, the players that have been around for, for a long time, despite them not being on form. If, if you look at Hazard in, in particular, he looks a shadow of his former self. Injuries look like they've, they've really taken their toll on him. But even at the back, now, Valtface has been really good for Leicester. Was there not a chance to, to put mm. him in and, and integrate him in? Because he's gone for all the experience. But he had probably had the yeah. chance to put Valt face in and, and freshen it up a bit. Doku always looked lively for me when he when he's played in pre, in the previous tournament or 
previous tournaments. You know, he's looked lively when he's come in. So he has got, he did have a couple of players that he could have brought in to kind of freshen it up a little bit to go with the experience that they have. Yeah, yeah. And we go back to loyalty. We talked about Southgate and Mount and Maguire before, all that kind of stuff. It's similar, but you can understand, I think, like why a lot of those head coaches would go back to those guys and would go back to, you know, to, to the guy they trusted before. I, I just do think at times it's counterproductive for your own team and, and for your own management because, yeah, okay, maybe Belgium right now don't have a young centre-back who's as good as what Vertonghen and Aldevarel used to be, but that's used to be. Surely they, they, they could be better than what they are now. Without the experience, no problem, but then maybe mix it. Maybe drop one of Aldevarel and Vertonghen or Vertonghen and then start the bass, for example, who had played quite a lot before the tournament and then suddenly dropped him. And then the, the kid who's only 18, he looks like a really good talent and has having a good season at Anderlecht. You just drop him with no reason almost. Fais, you're right. Teat is having a good season at Rennes. You've got, potential, you've got options there. And yet, I just don't, then don't care. I mean, come on, please. I don't, I don't want to see then don't care playing as a center, as a center back in a back three at the World Cup for Belgium. This is not on for me. So I think I agree with Ben 100% about Martinez. Um, I just think they still have the, the, at least they have one more chance. They just have one more goal. You know, it's like, uh, it's just that this is it. One more goal, just get together you know, start working as a team for once in this tournament, beat the Cro the beat Croatia, qualify, and whoever you face in the last 16, whether it's Germany, whether it's Spain, whether whoever, I think they, they face the group, that group in the last 16, then you will see. But I would be so disappointed if that team right now, after everything that's happened in the last few days, don't find the, I don't know, the heart, the intelligence, whatever you call it, to say like, listen, Come on, we know we're much better than what we showed against Canada and Morocco. Let's just turn it on for that game. Then we will see. We've got a few more days to prepare for the last 16. So I really want to see that. I think Ben is right. Lukaku's coming back for that game. I, I expect him to start. It's huge, even if he just plays an hour. But I really would be very, I would be annoyed, are my Belgian cousins, if they don't turn this one on and actually turn things around. Yeah, we'll have less of the slander of Aston Villa players. Thank you, Julian, on, the, on this podcast. Sorry, I even have, forgot we, they don't care who's playing for yeah, you. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. We, I remember, we, 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 we won't accept that on this show ever with me as a host. Thank you very much, Julian. Another nation is in a little bit of danger. He's in Group E, Germany, Julian. In, in a little a little bit of danger of, uh, of not getting through, I, I would say. But at least now, it feels like he may have stumbled upon his, his best 11 in the, in the players that finished the game. And he seems to have found a striker now, Hansi Flick. I mean, if Fulkrug is the answer, like I'm all for it. I think it's, it's, again, an incredible story. The guy who was a year ago playing in Bundesliga 2, scoring loads of goals, but still, who'd never thought, nobody would have never thought that right now it would be the answer and the saviour for Germany. So I think they will start him up front. Uh, we saw the goal that he scored against Spain, even if I guess the ball from Musiala is a little bit lucky, but it's right in front of him. And that finish is, is just what you want from him. And, and the goal is great. So, I, I, listen, if he, if he saves them and qualifies them for the last 16, again, whoever they face after, it's not so much the problem right now. But he becomes one of the stories of this World Cup because, like we've mentioned before, Ilimanendia with Senegal and there's many other stories already in this tournament. But if Fulkrug does that, he will be one of them and it will be an incredible story. 
Yeah, Morata as well is the super sub for Spain. Has he got an argument to start, Ben, for them? He does, of course. Um, but then you wonder if Enrique is going to disrupt that front three of Torres, Asensio and Olmo, which is a very tricky front three to, to, mobile, to counter. Isn't it? That, that front three yeah. without Morata, yeah. if that makes sense. Yeah, they, they like to kind of drift in and out of different pockets of space, uh, whereas Morata is more sort of direct in the way how he runs. Um, he obviously has an argument to start. He scored twice, especially that uh, key opener against Germany, which is a great run to the, uh, to the front post, which you won't get from Asensio. You might get from Torres, but you won't get from Almo. Um, so it depends if Enrique wants to give the uh, backup players those extra minutes against Japan. Um, they don't need to win to progress, but obviously if they do, you build momentum. If they lose, then you know there's the risk of going out. Um, but, I mean, Enrique does deserve praise for bringing Morata into the fold in that super sub role. But again, you could say, well, Spain probably would have beaten Germany if he hadn't taken Javi off uh, in the second mm. half. So you can praise him, but you can also criticise him for the same subs, uh, not the same subs, sorry, but doing the, making these changes in game. Um, the game management has been well, has worked well to an extent. But again, I think taking Gavi off against Germany wasn't ideal and they probably would have gone on to win that one had he stayed on the pitch. This is what I'm kind of saying about Belgium, Julian. And, you know, look at Germany and Spain, you know, they're integrating their, their young players, Musiala, Gavi, Pedri, you know, that for Germany and Spain, those young players are getting integrated, even though there's a lot of established players within that squad. That's not happening at Belgium. But, but Ben's right, Gavi came off and Spain did lose, lose control in that game massively. Mm. I think six of the 11 shots Germany had came after after Javi was, was replaced. So, I mean, I've called him about three different names there as well. So, yeah, I don't know what I was playing out there. But, you know, he's, he's, not, he's come off the pitch and they've, they've lost control. Sorry, who are we talking about here? Uh, Javi, Gavi, Javi. Which one is it? <laughs> I mean, we would, uh, we won't know had Gavi stayed on the pitch. Maybe, maybe there would still have been uh, the pressure. I, you know, I don't know. Uh, I agree with Ben, though. I thought it was a mistake. Like it was a mistake, for example, for Mansi Flick to take Musiala off when he did against Japan for the Germans in the, in the first game. It's, you don't expect those kind of managers to make those mistakes. But it happens. Um, I just, I, the, just to go back on your point about Belgium, I think Onana maybe is the closest they had to this, you know, really young, super talented, promising, upcoming youngsters that they're trying to integrate. And I even don't think Martinez did a good job on that with Onana because no. I think Onana is a wonderful talent. I, I, I don't want to see Vitzel in that team again. I don't think Vitzel is good enough, and and I would love a Tillemans. Onana partnership, for example, in that midfield for Belgium, which I think it can't happen now because Onana is suspended. But still, you know, like to go back to your point, I think you're right. I think Martinez missed a trick there. Um, for Spain, at that midfield three of Busquets, Gavi and Pedri, and especially Gavi and Pedri at their age, it's just incredible to watch. And I haven't been able to go and watch them yet live, only on television. Uh, but I'm really hoping that I've got a chance before, you know, before the end of the tournament because I think it's an absolute joy to watch them. And, and I think you would think that Luis Enrique, okay, maybe learn from taking Gavi off earlier. I think if you're Gavi, uh, you would not have been happy to come off. But, but again, this is part of the learning curve. He's still is such a young player. Let's not forget that there's many games at Barcelona where he was not starting this season. And for him to walk in this tournament and start the first two games and play at the level that he's played... It's just, uh, it's just breathtaking. There's a very real chance there that, that Germany are going to go out in the, in, in the group stages. There, out the big nations, they're actually the most in danger. Yeah, 
Yeah, they are. I mean, we could say Argentina a little bit too because because they haven't showed much really, and this is such a an open group that they are, and that Poland game could be tricky for them. But they they can also turn it up again and turn it on, and then win three 0 and then you know it's all good. For Germany, it's just that what kind of Germany we will see in that game. It's such a it's such a big game, and yeah, they all used to big games, but defensively. Even the Sula Rudiger partnership that people were praising. I mean, what Sula was doing on that Morata goal, by the way, just quickly. If you look at the goal again, at some point he's looking at his shoes, he's looking at the floor, and then Morata make that run in front of him at the near post and then finishes the way it is, and that's it. Zula conceded that goal because at some, for, for half a second, he's bloody looking at his laces. I'm like, what are you doing, dude? It's just it's just crazy. So I'm not too convinced defensively about Germany. But Musiala is such a generational talent that he can take on a game and boss it and win it for you. So I just want to see Musiala again in that game. That's all. I, I mean, I want to see Gavi again. I want to see Musiala again. I want to, this is this is this is also the stories of this tournament. Those kids like Bellingham as well, who are just who are just turning up here in Qatar and just bossing those games. It's incredible. Maybe we'll look at this in the, in the next podcast, Ben. But you could actually put together a, a decent under 21s eleven, I think. Yeah, even under twenty, maybe. Yeah, I can't think of a caper off the top of my head, but you know, we'll have a look at that for for the next podcast. If we can get a, a youngsters eleven, Ben. Yeah, I'll have a look at it. Um, so the goalkeeper could be an issue, but obviously one to look into. Um, well, Julian spends all the goalkeepers. He'll find someone for us. That's true. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> sure. There'll be someone he can talk to and get in, and get in our team under twenty ones. I'm sure. <laughs> Let's finish then with Ghana against Uruguay briefly. That's a, it's a it's a grudge match, isn't it, Ben? You don't you have many real grudge matches in, in the World Cup, but this one is huge. You look back to uh, the Suarez handball against Ghana on the line, um, and whether Suarez starts or not, there remains to be seen. I mean, he was I dropped. Think he will. The, you think yeah, he will? Yeah, he, he, he might do. He did well off the bench against Portugal. He was unlucky not to score. And it, it's just whether he uh, he starts alongside Cavani or or Nunez. Um, so it's one that Ghana fans have probably been looking forward to as a grudge match. And they would absolutely love nothing more than to knock Uruguay out, like confirm their exit. Yeah, I mean, they've got a good chance of, of knocking Uruguay out, Julian, because quite simply... Julian can't hit uh, Julian. Julian can't hit the back of the net. Uruguay can't, can't hit the back of the net. We know Julian can hit the back of the net because he was telling us about his five-a-side displays before before he came. <laughs> Uruguay can't put the ball in the back of the net, Julian. I, I mean, I, I don't really understand what's happening with Uruguay, really, because I think it's a good squad. It's not the perfect squad because, again, there's a lot of... Well, there's a few ageing players. We said last time on the show about Suarez and Diego Alonso, to be fair to him, dropped him. Um, not that Cavani and Nunez were much better in that game, but still. Um, but I don't know, I just think that Uruguay should be playing much better. I saw Cavani kind of discussing and and not being happy with, with Alonso's choices after that after that game. And Ghana, to be honest, at halftime of their first game against Portugal, I thought they were so bad that there was just no way they could get out of that group. And yet here they are. They got a bit lucky, I thought, against South Korea to score those two goals in the first half on the only two shots they had. And on two kind of set pieces or second phase of set pieces, but but they they they've grown into it and they've gone from strength to strength, which is also the World Cup. You know, for you, like in this Ghana team, no one had played in the World Cup before. You arrive here, it's a bit shaky, it's nervous. You play Portugal in the first game, you're well beaten for the first hour, and then at the end, you find a bit of form, you score a couple of goals, you're there. That gives you confidence, and then you face. You face South Korea, who you know are gonna are gonna be intense and having a lot of the ball and creating stuff, but still you believe in yourself. And now 
they're so full of confidence that they can go into this Uruguay game saying, you know what, we're going to bust this. We're so strong. We're so physical. We're such a unit. We can knock them out and qualify. And again, I, I didn't see this one coming, but well done to them and to Otoado who made a few changes there and there and it's worked well for him. And, and again, they could be in the last 16. And, and if they are, it's one of those teams that you don't want to face because they're going to be so hard to play against. That seriously could be one of the games to watch this week, Ghana-Uruguay. I think that's going to be a really, yeah. really big game, obviously. The grudge match, as I've mentioned, but there's a lot riding on it as well. That does us for today's World Cup show. Thanks ever so much for tuning in, and thanks to Ben and Julian for joining me as well. Don't forget to subscribe to the channel so you know exactly when our next video is coming out. We'll be back next week. Julian, I think you need to subscribe as well because you're never sure when, when the podcast are coming. Yeah. During this I know, one. I forgot about this one today. I was I was so so happy when Ben emailed us all yesterday saying, like, so to tomorrow boys like tomorrow what's happening tomorrow yeah so it's good yeah julian get your post notifications on please julian yes. and you you at home get your post notifications on as well please as i say we'll be back next week only one thing left to say enjoy all the football and stay safe